be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Awful long time ago, in fact, I, I figured it out it's 1974, I took a pottery class. Took it for a full year and actually practiced pottery for several years. This is the best thing I ever turned out in two years. I know it's 1974 because it says Kolb on the bottom. I'm going to have to verify this with Mary Claire. This is Kolb and it has 74. So this is, what, 26? This is almost 40 years old. Kind of held together. Now, I look at this and I keep it in my office as a reminder of something. It's not all that good. And I, and I remind myself periodically that after years of working on pottery with old pieces of clay, this is as good as I could do. But the reason is, I'm not a master craftsman. I am not the master potter. But it's a constant reminder that I know who it is. I know who the master potter is. I know who the master craftsman is. I know who can take wrecked and ruined lumps of clay lives, put them all back together again. Well, that's what we're talking about in this series. And so today, we're actually wrapping up this little series called Shaping Things to Come. And the theme that we've really kind of hit on for the first two weeks is perseverance. Another way of saying, hang in there. You don't give up because it ain't over till it's over. Maybe some of you, like me, I watched a lot of basketball yesterday just because it's a nice thing to do while I'm working on a sermon. I watched that Butler-Gonzaga game last night. Anybody else watch that game? Man, it went down to the wire and you thought Gonzaga had won and Butler got the ball and, and when they passed it in, the guy didn't realize the guy was there and he, he traveled with 3.2 seconds to go. And my heart just sunk. But then when Gonzaga threw the ball in, the guy intercepted the ball, took a couple of dribbles, went down and scored at the buzzer. Amazing. Not over till it's over. You know, the other thing we've talked about is you play to the final out because it's never too late to turn things around. Now, those two truths in and of themselves are either an encouragement or a warning. It's an encouragement because if your life is moving in the wrong direction, guess what? God extends to you His grace, and you can turn things around. It's a warning, though, because you do not have the luxury of ever thinking, I've arrived. I can coast the rest of my life. Let him who stands, huh, take heed lest he fall. Be on your guard. Now, last week I used the example of a football game. At some point, the winning team... Uh, can take a knee and run out the clock, write out the victory. Not so in baseball. I mean, you have to play until the final out because no lead is safe, no loss is certain until the final out gets recorded in the books. And when I look at it, I realize that's pretty much the way life is. We are in a battle that never ends this side of heaven. I came screaming and wailing into this world. <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to go out screaming and wailing, but it's going to be a battle all the way. We're running a race that has no finish line this side of the grave. 
That's why Paul wrote these words to 1 Corinthians. It was kind of like the midpoint, the mid-season of his ministry. He said, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, if we took a vote on who was perhaps one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, we would probably have Paul pretty close to the top of the list, if not at the top of the list. And even though he may have been one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, he understood that even while his ministry was growing and expanding throughout the world, he had the potential to wash out. And it was only at the very end of his life, after decades of service and after many wins and losses, and we've we've spent a long time, we just finished studying the book of Acts today in adult Bible study, and, you know, you just think it's only at the very end of his life, in in, in one of the last paragraphs that he would ever write, Listen to what he said in 2 Timothy 4. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. Would you like to be able to say that at the end of your life, that those be some of the last words out of your mouth? I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. I stuck to it. To the end. You see a familiar face here up on the screen. Her name is Marlo Thomas. Maybe you remember her. I think the television show I remember was That Girl, I think it's something like that. Her father was Danny Thomas. But she said, I've always been a big believer that it's never too late to reinvent yourself or to pick up the pieces and start over when life has thrown you a curveball. Well, that's not necessarily theological, but it, it does make a point. There are times when you get hit by a curveball. That's what happens. Well, then you have a chance to get back up and get back in the game and pick up your bat and try again. This is kind of the truth that we find here in Jeremiah 18. If you're still breathing, remember I gave you that test last week, two fingers on your wrist, you still got a pulse, you're still okay. There's still time. Got another quote up here by George Eliot. And George Eliot said, it's never too late to become what you might have been. Now, a lot of us go through life and we kind of wonder, what's this all about? Uh, What's my purpose? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to be? Well, God's got a plan for everybody. And guess what? It's never too late to become what God actually wants you to be. Now, I think about this from little on. You know, growing up in a little town of Seward, Nebraska, being raised by my grandparents, God used the tornado to drive us off the farm into this big, booming town of Seward, 3,180 people. And my grandpa took the first job that he could get, and that was to be the janitor at the church, the school, and the parish hall. And so immediately, starting in kindergarten, I got to know pastors pretty well. got to see them up close and personal. got to see teachers up close and personal, strong Christian people, And it was way back when I was probably five or six that I said, 
I'm going to be a pastor someday. Someday. Well, you know, it took me a long time. You know, I think about this. It's never too late to become what you might have meant. A lot of other life got in my way. Like high school, college, getting married, having a couple of children, not being able to afford to go to the seminary, moving overseas, getting involved in coaching basketball, doing all kinds of other kinds of things. But then, lo and behold, at the ripe old age of 40, I became a pastor. I was a slow learner. But, you know, God had 40 years to knock all the rough edges off me. I've always said that if I'd have been a pastor straight, you know, high school, college, seminary, I'd have probably quit years ago or people would throw me out. Had to learn a little bit. It's never too late. See, all of us are clay on the potter's wheel. And like the clay in Jeremiah, there are places in our life that just didn't go the way we had planned. We kind of got out of God's will. You know, Katie was talking to the confirmation kids the other day about God's will. I mean, what is God's will? And, and you know, do you know what God wants you to do? And are there times when you don't quite do what God would want you to do? Or are there times that stuff just spins your life out of control that has very little to do with you? But it's still not too late. Why? Because as we said before, there's always a potter sitting at the wheel, and he can take our mistakes and he can reshape them into something beautiful and something good for his glory. Now, this started out as just some big lump of clay. I think if I could actually remember, I probably tried to get this thing up. You know, you kind of master it on that wheel. And, you know, I was following all the instructions and all of this kind of stuff. And I, started, I bet you there were any number of times I just went bam and smacked it back down. I don't know how many times I had to do it before I got it up to this point. And it's still not very good. But God sometimes does that with our lives. But there's kind of an interesting twist here. That clay pretty much just lays there and dares you to do something with it. But with us, we actually get to kind of participate in this process there are things that you and I can do that can help shape the things that come into our life. There's a, there's a sense in which you're part of the molding process. Now, in Lutheranism, we would call that the sanctification part of our lives. We come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but then we, we start getting ourselves cleaned up. Uh, we're not just some helpless little cog in a wheel somewhere, part of God's grand design. You are, can participate in a way. Participate not in saving yourself. But it says, you know, things like change your attitude, change your mind, have this mind, grow up this way, learn this. We have those opportunities. So today I just want to share with you three attitudes. Last thing, three attitudes that we need to learn. Here's attitude number one. You need to be teachable. I'm going to go back to the text again, Jimmy read to you before, verses one and two. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise... Go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. See, God sent the prophet Jeremiah down to the potter's house so that he could hear God's words. Now, in the same way, you need to be willing to go where you can hear the word of God. Now, that's not so much a geographical place as it is a spiritual place. 
It's an attitude place. It's a place where you arrive according to the condition of your heart. See, the important thing is not that you just show up in church and park your posterior in a pew. It's not even connected with sitting there patiently and listening. It's coming with a heart and a sincere desire to actually hear what God has to say to you through the Word. You see, there's something I've learned over the years, and that's even when I listen to a preacher that I don't fully agree with. And believe it or not, there are a few that I listen to every once in a while. I don't really believe it. I don't fully agree. But I also realize that God is still able to speak to me if I'm willing to listen. Now, of course, when I talk about hearing the Word of God, I'm not, again, I'm just not talking about just on Sunday mornings. I'm talking about each and every day of the week. I mean, every day, it is absolutely, positively essential that you go to that place, that spiritual place, that potter's house, where you can hear the Word of God. That's why, you know, one of the things we're going to talk about in the new member class is, you know, what is a Lutheran, what is a Lutheran believer? We're going to talk about spiritual disciplines and a couple of the spiritual disciplines that I truly believe that every believer needs to develop is to spend time, spend time alone with God each day in prayer and in the Word. See, there's enough power here in the Word of God to change your life. That's why Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, you know, you can use it for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, so that every person is equipped for every good work. You want to make changes in your life, folks? It's here. Right there in the Word of God. But you need a teachable spirit. See, when you have a teachable spirit, you not only learn from the Bible, you also start learning from everything else that happens around you. I mean, Jeremiah went to a potter's house and he watched some guy on an old potter's wheel making some form of a clay pot. Now, this is something that he could have seen most anywhere in his day and age. But when Jeremiah saw it, God used that common, everyday experience of a guy making a pot to teach him an important spiritual truth because Jeremiah was paying attention. He had a teachable spirit. I listened to an interview early this morning of the basketball coach from Butler. And it was interesting because he said, I teach my players to play to the end. It's kind of like, I don't care whether we win or lose. The importance is we don't want to leave anything on the field. It's going to keep on going. He said, and for them to do that, they've got to have a teachable spirit about them. See, when you have a teachable spirit, then you discover that God is speaking and teaching you all the time in conversations, circumstances, uh, even in a game of baseball or football or basketball. When you're teachable, you'll find that God always has some way for you to learn. Now, there's an old saying goes this way. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. You ever hear that before? When the student is ready, the teacher appears. I think that applies to the Christian life. When you're willing to learn, God is willing to teach you all over. If you want to make the most of your future, stay teachable. I mean, 
I don't know, I know a few people like this, maybe you do too, but there aren't a whole lot of people that are so arrogant that they'd walk around and say, you know, I know everything there is to know. I've met a few people kind of like that, but, you know, I know everything there is to know about this subject. I know everything there is to know about being married. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I know everything I need to know about raising kids, or I, I know everything I need to know about investing money, or I know I need to know everything there is to know about living a life of faith, uh, or I know everything I need to know to arrive at a political opinion. I know everything I need to know. I've run into a few of those. It's sad. It's really sad to see that attitude in some people. Because once you get off the road of continual growth, you get on the road to eventual failure. We need to stay teachable. I mean, listen to what God says to you, not only in Scripture, but in the pages of life. That helps you get the most out of your future. Now, here's the second attitude. We need to be adaptable. Verse 4 says, And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Now, I still find it rather fascinating to watch people work at a potter's wheel. I sometimes think it would really be kind of fun. I think Joyce was going to teach a class. I don't know if you still are. It would be fun to go and do that again and to watch somebody who actually knows how to do it. In fact, I find it really fascinating to watch anybody do whatever they're good at. It's kind of fun. Now, Jason, I know you're a builder. You know, when we build a house, I love walking out there and watching these guys Frame the house. It's cool. You know, our builder actually let me nail in a wall, and he came behind and hammered all the nails in because he knew what he was doing. I loved watching them lay those wood floors. Cool. I, I couldn't do it. I love watching people who can do something really, really well. It's fascinating to see how people can start with nothing, and suddenly they got something. Now, how does that happen? It happens because the clay is moldable or changeable or shapeable or how about malleable? There's another one or pliable or adaptable, whatever bull word you want to use. But how many times have you ever heard somebody say in reference to one of their faults, this is just the way I am? You ever hear anybody say, that's just the way I am. I've always been this way. Always going to be this way. You just got to learn to accept it. You ever heard anybody say that? I think I've heard it around here a few times. Nah, just the way I am. You just need to deal with me. I had a member who tried this excuse once. Um, I stopped him in the hallway after church one Sunday morning, and I realized, because I could, I could see it and hear it, he had offended several people in the hallway. And, and I said, you, know, you really can't be doing that. And he said, oh, pastor, you just need to get used to it. Just the way I am. I just blurt out whatever comes to my mind. I remember telling him, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm instituting a new policy against blurting. No more blurting. I mean, if you want to stick around here and be happy, you got to get used to doing things a little bit differently. You can't use that excuse all the time. That's just the way I am. Take it or leave it. I mean, you really, in particular, you can't do that in all the stuff in life that matters. I mean, you can't do it with God. Yeah, God, I know what you're telling me, but this is just the way I am. Take it or leave it. Man, if you said that to God, move over in case the lightning came. 
I don't know. I don't know if you can get away with that one with your wife. Yeah, it's just the way I am. Take it or leave it. I don't know if that works very well. If one of my kids ever came up to me and I said, hey, Eric or Terry, cut that out. And they were, oh, that's just the way I am. Take it or leave it. You know, the, the Board of Education would have found the seat of knowledge pretty quick. Now, it's been said that the seven last words of the church are. Anybody know what they are, the seven last words of a church? <laughs> we never did it that way before. <laughs> we never did it that way before. That's kind of the same way of saying, well, it's just the way we are. Take it or leave it. Get used to it. Yeah, it may be true that those are the church's last words, because a lot of churches who refuse to change ultimately lose their voice and ultimately lose their influence in the community or the neighborhoods in which they find themselves. Now, I'm not talking about changing the doctrine about the deity of Christ. This Changing methods sometimes of ministry. I mean, some churches think that they can resist change as long as they can while the church continues to get smaller and smaller. You know, some churches just close their doors. I heard of one this last week. I think I mentioned the sermon last week that just closed its doors. And, and I can remember 15 years ago when this church used to worship five or 600 people. But they would not change some of the things that needed to be changed. Some churches, they just bail out of the neighborhoods and they move to the suburbs. But the great thing is that many churches say, you know what, we can adapt. We can change. Let's figure out a way that we could actually reach families that are moving into this area, even if it means stepping outside of our comfort zone. In other words, let's be pliable. Now, when the potter's working at the wheel, have you ever, ever watched them? You notice what they're doing all the time when they're working at the wheel? They keep putting water on their hands. And they keep on pouring a little water every once in a while on the clay. And that's just to keep it soft, to keep it pliable. And in the Bible, water is used to symbolize a lot of things. I mean, water is used to symbolize among them purification of sins, washing away your sins. It's it's a symbol of God's presence. He is the water of life. It's the symbol of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reign on me. You know, that kind of stuff. Now, that's kind of essential for having a pliable heart. We need to be keep asking God constantly to cleanse us, to wash us, uh, to live in God's presence every day, uh, to walk in the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit. And just like that potter keeps pouring a little water on that clay... In order to keep moral, we need to be continually in God's presence, continually seeking the Holy Spirit so that we can change what we need to change about ourselves. If you want to make the most of your future again, be adaptable. Okay, here's the third one. Be accountable. At this point, you've heard this scripture three weeks now. Now, maybe you listened to it the first time, kind of listened to it the second time, figured, oh, but the heck, Jimmy's already read this once before. I'm not listening to it the third time. I don't know what your attitude was when you heard it today. But if you, if you paid attention to it, God was not particularly happy with the people he was talking to through Jeremiah. He was unhappy with the direction that the country of Judah had taken. And so he told them that nations that do evil are going to be destroyed. Nations that turn away to evil are going to be destroyed. But 
things, nations that turn from evil and follow God will be spared. He said, now, therefore, say to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. See, God calls all of us to accountability. He wasn't just telling the leaders to shape up. He was telling every last citizen of Judah, turn from your evil ways. Have you noticed in the last number of years a kind of a rise in people blaming our nation's problems on our leaders, on our president, on our Congress, Senate, representatives? Or a rise in people kind of blaming this corporation or that corporation or blaming this branch of the media or that branch of the media or this group of sinners as opposed to that group of sinners. I find myself falling into those traps, I'll be honest with you. But I also know that as long as you got someone to blame, you can always avoid accepting personal responsibility. You see, if it's not my fault, Katie... It must be yours. See how that works? That's why pastors treat DCEs. <laughs> now, my pet peeve more and more lately are people who preach and speak against the president as if he personally somehow has the power to solve all of our problems. And the list goes on and on how America needs to do this and America needs to do that and our schools need to do this or our churches need to do that or... This corporation needs to do this, or the government needs to do that. You know, that kind of preaching and that kind of conversation doesn't really accomplish much. Because you and me together really can't decide what America or the president or a giant corporation is going to do. You see, in the end, it's, I'm accountable for my actions. You're accountable for your actions. If you want to make the most of your future, take responsibility for your part, for your actions, for your attitudes. And those who make the most of it are those who say, you know, if it is to be, it's up to me or something catchy like that. I'm not going to stand on the sidelines and complain. I'm either going to be part of the problem or I'm going to be part of the solution. I'll get in the game and I'll do what I can. See, making your future really comes down to a few simple things. And that's just that daily decision of getting into the presence of God every day. Listening to God's Word every day. I send out a note out to those of you who get emailed a week or so ago. This year I've been, I have a little thing on my phone where I can actually listen to somebody read the Bible. And what I do is I listen to it in one version and I read the same section in another version. You probably go, that sounds confusing. Yeah, it can be, but guess what? It forces you to pay attention. But you're there, you're hearing it over and over. It's seeking His directions every day, surrendering to the Holy Spirit every day, refreshing yourself in God's presence every day, stepping up to the plate of responsibility every day. Now again, Jeremiah 18 can be interpreted as an encouragement or a warning as a promise or a threat. What it really tells us is that what you do does matter and you will never get to the point where it doesn't. 
Now, I hope that as you think about the messages in this series, you're going to kind of take a look at your life. Hopefully you have. And challenge yourself to respond to Jeremiah's words in a way that would bring glory to God with the way that you live life. The great news in, this, in these few verses, these 11 verses, is that it's never too late to become what God desires in your life. There's still time. I mean, I'd say, so run, don't walk to the potter's house. Open your eyes, open your ears, open your heart so that you can see and hear and understand what God is saying to you. And that's one way you literally take hold of your future, knowing that the potter will wrap his hands around your hands and guide you every step of the way. May God bless us all in our journey in the hands of the potter. Amen.